Welcome back, listeners. It's episode 73 of They Think It's All Over, the football shirt show. We've got a real bumper week coming along. I'm Adrian Football Shirtalia. Who's joining us today? It's Mike at Footy Shirts. And Scott at Flying Sky. And Adam at This One Kit. Also on threads now. Hey. No, <laughs> uh, no Tom this week. He, I hear he's um, getting stuck into a Chinese. Apparently so. That is, that is what he said. Not his first meal of the week either. We really have got a busy one this week, so I'm not going to do any chitter chatter. We've got some genuine news for once, not that we ever make it up, but we have some genuine news. We have an awful lot of new releases. Scott has been ranting all week, so we're going to ask him to narrow it down to one thing today. And then we've got a very special feature coming along. But um, one thing before we get started, we are celebrating this week, Mike. It is our one year birthday this week, as they think it's all over, because obviously everybody that listens to the pod will know that we had a rebrand if you want to call it that pretty much a year ago so yeah we're we're officially one year old i mean probably when on the day this pod goes out so today one year old today thank you to everybody uh, listening to us and supporting us throughout that period and thank you to everybody who's followed us on our social medias in the last 12 months as well really does mean a lot and we really do enjoy all the interaction and backwards and forwards we have with you um starting to get a little bit emotional I'm waiting for Scott to say something, but he's just got a big grin on his face. I don't, I don't think he's going to do it. <laughs> Everything going around my head is not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Right. Should we get started with some news? Let's do it. We had some national government kit news this week, didn't we, Mike? We did. We did. So this involves Leicester City FC. Basically, they've got themselves into a bit of a pickle and it's cost them a fair bit of money, probably more money than they made from what they did. It's been announced that they will be fined up to £880,000. And what that is for is for essentially price fixing on their uh, shirts and clothing line. They were in cahoots with JD Sports. And basically what, what they've done is it's is not too complex, but it's a long story. So just to cut it down, they've essentially made agreements with JD Sports for JD Sports to not sell particular lines and to not undercut them on those lines. Therefore, meaning Leicester can pretty much dictate the price. And this story is actually coming straight off .gov website. Um, and you can go on there and read a lot of it for yourself. There's a few little points. Basically said, this case relates to the following arrangement between Leicester City and JD Sports. In August 2018, the agreement was that JD Sports would stop selling Leicester City branded clothing online for the 18-19 season. And in January 2019, that JD Sports would not undercut Leicester City in terms of online sales for the 2019-20 season by applying a delivery charge to all orders of Leicester City branded clothing disapplying its company-wide promotional offer of free online delivery for all orders over £70. And there's a few more points on there, but you get the gist of it. Basically, what they've done is they fixed the price to make absolutely sure that nobody else can sell their, sell their stuff cheaper. I mean, it's a genius idea because I will buy any shirt from any shop that doesn't charge me delivery. I don't care who it is. That £3.50 or £5, whatever it is, that is, you've got my money. So it's a genius idea. Because they've not changed the price, but when they hack on the uh, hack on the delivery charge, customers will be like, oh, screw that, I'll go to the Leicester City website. The thing I found interesting when I read the article was that 
JD Sports themselves were the one who snitched on Leicester, seemingly, which is why they haven't been fined. They kind Ooh. of <laughs> did, 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 did that not happen? It did. We just don't like snitches on. Oh, uh, on oh this no, pod, we don't. Do we? we don't. Um, yeah. So I found it interesting that maybe they got cold feet and were like, "Oh, we're going to get in trouble here." So because they went to the government and said, "Oh, we've done this naughty thing with Leicester," they've got away with it, which I thought was a little bit sneaky. I say, so JD oh. were grasses to save their asses. I mean, you could put it like that, yes, if you if you wanted to. I wonder if it's one of those situations where, due to the fact that it was what five years ago, that somebody had a, somebody's agreed to it that's no longer at the company, and the new person in the position's got cold feet or something and decided to dob them in. Yeah, well, either way, I don't think it's worked out very well for Leicester. I mean, it it, it's, it was a silly thing to do, wasn't it? When it comes down to it, it was for the sake of a few quid. And the truth is, now with that with that hefty fine. It's just not going to pay off. Anybody wants to read any more about that, by the way. So as I say, it's on the gov.uk website. You can literally just search Leicester City Fine and you'll find it. And there's actually a full case page on there. So if you're that sort of person, you can read every individual part of the case. And if you're not that sort of person, we did retweet the BBC article during the week as well. So just scroll through our tweets and you'll see a more condensed version. But actually, the prices that clubs charge and how how much cost shirts actually links into our second news item as well this week, doesn't it, Adam? Uh, it does indeed. So before I tell you about the news item, oddly enough, a Twitter user called Kit for Brains did his own breakdown of how much a football shirt cost. And I have to say he was very close on it. But the Daily Mail on Sunday released a report showing how much a football shirt breakdown comes to. So they based it on the new Manchester United home shirt, the standard stadium version, which retails for £80. And surprisingly, I mean, I would have thought that the football clubs themselves would get a much higher percentage. Out of an £80 shirt, Manchester United get £4.80 from that shirt. The main one is the retailer, who on average get £26.40, followed by the manufacturer who get £23.47. Even more than what the clubs get, the government get, because they get £13.33 in VAT. The cost of the shirt to make is £8, and the other costs are made up from distribution, which is £1.60, and marketing, which comes to £2.40. So I thought this was a really interesting breakdown of just how much a football shirt costs, how much the retailer gets compared to the manufacturer, and also how little the clubs get i think it really dispels that myth that football players are bought by shirt sales because you would have to sell an awful lot of shirts to buy a footballer well i wonder if that links in nicely as to why leicester are bribing jd because if it's if it's 26 40 to the retailer if it's the club shop then that increases the percentage of what the club gets massively it does also show that the Liverpool deal where they, I can't rem- remember the exact percentage, but the deal they struck with Nike when they took over from New Balance was actually less than the upfront cost that New Balance gave them. But they negotiated quite a high percentage from sales on Nike. So it kind of shows they were a little bit savvy with that, to be honest. It also makes you realise why clubs might be switching to brands like Castore as well, because obviously we heard before that Castore give bigger cuts of the sales to the clubs as well, based on how many are manufactured and how many are sold and so on. So it, yeah, it kind of puts a new light onto that really as well. But either way, it's just another one of those things where we see how much we get ripped off as a as a consumer. On Castore, Mike, I'm assuming 
the clubs don't have to fund the refunds and exchanges that come in. Otherwise, that's going to eat into their Castori <laughs> deals massively. Uh, I I don't know the ins and outs of it, I'm afraid. An, an interesting graphic would be to see the authentic models as well as to why they're... I mean, you look at the Real Madrid one, it's, what, fucking 60 quid more expensive than that. So I wonder if that where that falls in. Because you wouldn't think it would be cost, would it? It's not going to be 60 quid extra to make the authentic shirt, is it? So I wonder if that goes into pure profit for a manufacturer or a bigger percentage to the retailer or club, I don't know. Especially when you think that with the authentics, in general, probably the most expensive part of it is just the material it's made out of. Because often you get an embroidered badge on a stadium, whereas you then get a heat pressed or TPU on authentics, which, as we know, is cheaper to do. There's less labor there as well. So that would really be an interesting breakdown to see. wonder if that's out there anywhere. Just moving away from our perspective as shirt collectors, we're obviously all football fans as well, and we all support certain teams. So is there an argument here that actually when you buy your own club shirts, you should probably go through the club shop because that's putting the money into your club? Point. But another point to be made from that is how many fucking club shops are kit bag now? So if you go online, it's not even your club shop anymore. It's kit bag. So is the only place you can go to help the club, the physical shop, which is massively restrictive if you think about people that, you know, most Man United fans that don't live anywhere near the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm a Liverpool fan in Norwich. But yeah, I think that's a good point. You'd think that Man City, with all the dodgy dealings they're doing and all the fake numbers they're making up, is that they've only got 20,000 fans and they all live next door to the stadium. So they should be bumping up their money through the club shop, shouldn't they? Allegedly, Scott, we have to say allegedly on this Uh, Allegedly, sorry, allegedly. Do we have to say allegedly like 115 times or can we just say it once to cover all of it? And every single time. So like you have to say beep, 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 allegedly. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> it's 116 allegedly now, Mike. They found another one. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> So absolutely tons of new releases. We are going to go through a random selection of notable releases this week and the usual format. And there are so many. We need to stick to the rules. Three words-ish to describe the shirt. We will go Mike, Scott, Adam, because I like watching Adam's reactions to Scott's comments. (laughs) So kicking off this week, we've got PSV and Puma with their home shirt. Okay, at best. Simple, looks great. Moderately stylish. Next up, Macron and Aalborg. Very 90s Arsenal. Shit box sponsor. Ooh, zigzags. <laughs> okay, Werder Bremen's home shirt. Um, recognisable to most. Best of template. Amazing, bought it. It's been done. We get it. We get it, Hummel. Apart from Scott, he's buying them all. Uh, next, we've got IX's new home shirt. Best in years. Mrs. Old Sponsor. Agree with Scott. Cambridge United and Umbro. Umbro, just good. Abrupt design end. Well, I still think Umbro are back. I think they've been great this season. So, yeah, Umbro are back. Umbro are back. You heard it here first, allegedly. Got Caledonian Thistle and Puma. Really crap stripes. Stupid, uneven stripes. I like the stripes. Next up, we're over to Holland with Go Ahead Eagles with a black and gold number. 
more black and gold. Poor sleeve choice. Yeah, it, it's been done. Black and gold. It's been done. All right, note to self, no more black and gold shirts in this roundup. Right out there, we have got the SS. Sorry, uh, SS Lazio. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> nice embossed feature. Needs a sponsor. Classy shirt for racists. Rail Batiste and Hummel. Better than overused template. That's three words. Great Chevron use. Very stylish. Notts County back in the Football League this year released a blue away shirt. Very, very boring. Tedious fucking link. Just disappointing. Disappointing. There is quite a cool story about this, Scott. It sounds like you know the tedious link. And actually, I don't. I just saw something about Italy and gave up reading. <laughs> <laughs> it is a tedious link. Uh, Juventus got their shirt colours from Notts County. So, in homage to that, Notts County have gone with a blue away shirt for the colours of Italy. Interesting because at the time that happened, Italy played in white, not in blue. But um, there we go. See, I knew it was bollocks. Yeah, yeah. Right, moving on. We have got Macron and Stevenage. Favourite this week. What is their graphic? Not their best, but they tried. I know it's more than three words, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, Scott, we're assuming that was a rhetorical question, and none of us are going to answer that. Oh, uh, wait, it wasn't. We... What the fuck is the graphic? <laughs> <laughs> we're moving across to Wickham Wanderers with their new Hummel Awaker. Nice Betis reject. I see 1986. I agree with Mike. What have we got next? Uh, we've got uh, Roma's new home ship. Just a template. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that in, but I don't care. Fucking amazing template. Is it Spain? <laughs> You're not coming back, uh... Adam. Uh, Plymouth Argyle's <laughs> new home ship. They're in championship, aren't they? And they're going to be looking good. Your template perfection. Lovely shade. Plymouth Timbers. See it. Forest Green Ravers have changed suppliers and they've gone with Umbro this year. Fuck Forest Green. Isn't it the same? Yeah, that was going to be my new supplier, same shirt. Bradford City's home shirt. Very old school. Are they now a rowing team? (laughs) (laughs) Looks like some cunt from Oxford and Cambridge, doesn't it? Look at that fucking shirt. I mean, I thought it was more rugby, but I I definitely get the rowing as well. But yeah, rugby. I, I do like it, though. I think it's really cool. I'm with you, Adam. I, I really like that shirt. Uh, next, Leighton Orient released all three of their shirts, but we're going to look at the home shirt. Decent for Puma. All fucking shit. Oh, that's harsh. Um, <laughs> we're just looking at the home one. I think it's all right. We're nearly there. We've got Freiburg's new home shirt. How to use this template. Yeah, I've seen it before. Hate it. Actually hate it. They really mash up the home colours year to year as well, don't they? But um that's probably probably for another day. And next we're into Scotland again with Hibs away shirt. Lovely collar and cuffs. Exactly my thoughts. Very Wimbledon tennis championships. Ah, topical. Yeah, it does look ace actually. Uh, finally we have got Brighton's away shirt. Lovely Sassuolo style. <laughs> Everything I'm thinking tonight is four fucking words. We'll let you for four. It's quicker than you having to think of three. Doesn't look like Brighton. Good colour throwback. 
it's based on one of their older shirts, isn't it? Um, I think it was an array one. Um, and yeah, I, I think the colours are quite good. So yeah, good colour throwback. I think considering it's the Nike template that chops everything off from the body, it look, I think it actually works really well, even though the stripes don't go all the way up. I think it looks good. Right, brilliant stuff. That's uh, many, many new releases there. We, do you think we're coming to an end of new release season now? What, what's your thoughts? I think we're going to get loads still over the next few weeks, and we. I think it's going to be a, still a busy couple of weeks. So coming up, we've got a very, very special feature this week, haven't we, Mike? We certainly have. We were very, very lucky to be joined by current championship club Rotherham striker, international footballer. And we had a really, really good chat about his career, some of the clubs he's played for and some of the kits that he liked wearing at some of his favourites. So, yeah, it was a, it was, it's a good one. Let's get stuck in. Let's listen to when Mike and AD spoke to Connor Washington. So this week, we're absolutely delighted to welcome Connor Washington onto the pod. Connor's a current footballer, as you all know, an international footballer. Thank you for coming and welcome to the pod. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Nomadic journey now. 31 journeyman striker, officially. At what point do you become journeyman, do you reckon? How many clubs do you need? I reckon you've got to be... Well, actually, I don't think I've had that many clubs, to be honest. But I think once you're past 30, you're, you're a journeyman, aren't you, in football? So if I was playing football manager, that I would be classing people as journeymen over the age of about 28. So We might um, ask you I'm... about that shortly, if noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I think we definitely will. Well, I did do a little bit of homework before we started talking to you, and you are on eight clubs at the moment. So we'll let the listeners decide if that makes you count as a journeyman. You've worked your way up through the leagues, haven't you? And, and I was having a look. So you started right down on the tiers, really, at St Ives. Yeah, so I had a bit of a funny funny way into football. Uh, I was never in an academy or anything when I was a kid. Had a couple of trials here and there, but where I grew up, sort of in between Cambridge and Peterborough, there's not any clubs. There's Cambridge or Peterborough, obviously. But after that, you're talking like Norwich, Ipswich, and then Northampton maybe, but obviously none, none of those clubs have got like a massive scope for, for picking up players. So if I'm honest, I wasn't that good when I was a kid. So <laughs> um, hence, hence the failed trials. But yeah, just came into it pretty unorganically I guess I was sort of 16 17 playing for St Ives Town under 18s and had a little bit of a growth spurt um not that I'm particularly tall now but I was very small uh sort of filled out a little bit did that for a couple of years went to university did my A-levels and stuff and uh and then I was a postman and then just scoring goals having fun really playing Saturday football with my mates so um yeah it's a good journey I'm, I'm glad I've come into football the way I have because Obviously, you hear some horror stories about lads coming through academies and stuff, but I'm not sure if, as a kid, I would have been able to handle that, to be honest. One quick question. Do you miss your Christmas tips as a postie? I was a pretty bad postman, to be honest, so I don't, <laughs> think, <laughs> I don't think I would have got many. Um, I really enjoyed it, though. Like, you know, I, I get up early now, obviously you've got kids and stuff, but I've always got up early my whole, my whole life, so it was sort of getting in, getting out of the way, being out in the fresh air, and then playing golf or going to the gym and stuff so really good lifestyle obviously money's terrible but um <laughs> everything else was great all for union that were you just playing i mean were you still playing at st ives or were you just playing like with mates teams and uni teams and things like that funny story actually i played uni second team because i didn't make the first team it's a bit clickier those yeah um those sort of things but yeah i played second team for a for a few games uh, they wanted me to play the first team but they were training like twice a week or something and obviously I was there for a piss up mostly. So 
Um, that was never going to happen. And then I was traveling back Tuesday, Saturday to play for St. Ives just because it was like maybe 50 quid a game or something like that, um, yeah. which went which went a hell of a long way at uni, to be honest. And then at that point, you just scoring the goals and it was Newport County, wasn't it? Did they spot you or a few clubs in for you? How did that come about? So at the end of one season, I'd done really well um, at St. Ives. I think I was about 19, maybe. And I went to Cambridge and sort of spoke to them, but it just financially just didn't make sense. Like it was miles less than what I was on as a postman and playing part-time football. So, and it was obviously a big risk. It was a big risk for me at the time because I was actually training. Uh, I needed to do a, just another qualification. I was going to go in the RAF. So I was sort of weighing it up thinking, do I really want to play? I think with Cambridge, Cambridge with conference at the time, I think. So it's very much like, do I really want to do that? Obviously, everybody dreams of it, but when it was, I think it was about 350 quid a week they offered me and I was 20 or something. So, yeah, it just didn't didn't really work out. So I ended up playing uh, again for St. Ives at the start of the season. Sort of continued in the same goal scoring form, really. I think I got maybe 12 or 13 in the first seven or eight games. And my agent, who's, who was relatively local at the time, um, had heard about me and came to watch a game. I signed with him. And he was good friends with Justin Edinburgh. I think he played with him and stuff. So he said, listen, I've got, I've got this lad. It's going to cost whatever. I think it's about five grand or something. So uh, take a chance on him. And to be fair, the first couple of months of training, he probably thought this is the worst five grand we've ever spent. <laughs> um, but luckily enough, I adapted pretty quickly the next season and, and I was off by the January. So yeah, it all went ridiculously quickly. You were with Newport when they got promoted to the Football League, weren't you? Yeah, so I basically didn't play that whole... I think I signed in like the November. Obviously, I'd gone from being a postman, playing part-time football to full-time football in November, like after a pre-season, midway through the season. And I was just miles off it physically, technically, everything. Um, so I sort of... I think I scored one goal towards the end of that season, whereas like they just sort of put me in because we were going to get in the playoffs and here's have a, a start sort of thing. So... Um, but I was I was in the squad for the first leg of the semi, missed out the second leg, and then also missed out the squad on the final as well. So um wasn't involved at all. It was a good day, obviously, but it's very hard to feel part of it when you've not really played and then not been in the squad. So I say so in nineteen twenty, you've you basically you move I say to the other end of the country, it is across the country, isn't it? Like and you walk into a changing room where everybody's professional athletes they will come probably through an academy culture or they're coming back down through the leagues perhaps you missed pre-season you said yourself you sort of not not your physical sort of peak when you go in so a bit of you think oh shit I've done the wrong thing here or or did you know did you think actually I can do this like they're not better than me they're just fit no no it's very much the former yeah um (laughs) it got to the summer and I remember saying to my family like listen I think I signed 18 months away and I said I've got a year left on my contract if this doesn't go great I'll just go back to what I was doing basically um I thought I'll give myself the benefit of the doubt with a pre-season uh tried to return as fit as I could and then within the first couple of training sessions it, the lad said it to me as like I was a different player and maybe the attitude of you know the, the acceptance of like this is it just give it one last shot if it doesn't work it doesn't work and also obviously being in much better physical shape helps as well but yeah I was ready to sort of not throw in the towel I guess but see out my contract and see where it took me really but yeah, like I say, by the January, I was gone. So just crazy game. You were gone to Peterborough as well, wasn't it? So, I mean, that that was a bit of a jump again, really, I guess, wasn't it? I mean, was it Darren Ferguson in charge when you went there as well? 
Yeah, yeah. He's been back and forward a few times since then. I was well. say, he's always managed for Peterborough, isn't he? I, don't know. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, yeah that, there's a 50-50 chance at any time it was him, really, isn't there? Yeah, or Grant McCann. Uh, it's funny <laughs> because I, I played I played with Grant under Darren Ferguson as well. So, yeah, it's uh, been a funny few years there. Yeah, it's another funny football story, really. I don't think I was particularly high on their hit list of, of players they were looking at. They wanted another striker. Um, I wasn't even playing up front at the time, really. I was playing off the left a lot. Did play up front in a two when we started playing 3-5-2. But yeah, a lot of my time at Newport, I spent playing off the left. So as it's one of those weird things in football you don't really realise until you play. But like when teams draw up a transfer target list or whatever, they usually have sort of seven or eight players. Like Because obviously one might not come, two doesn't want to come, three they won't let out or whatever. And I think I was pretty far down that list, to be honest. But um, eventually it came through that they couldn't get whoever else they wanted. So um, they were interested in me, basically. And it was ideal for me, obviously, uh, being in between Cambridge and Peterborough. I couldn't ask for a better move, really. And at a club like that, where we all know how well good they've, how good they are at developing strikers and selling them on, it was a, a dream come true, really. And what one question that I got to ask: Did you meet Barry Fry at any point? Because he's still lingering around there, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant. He's exactly how he is in that YouTube video. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. He's a great character. I think. It's a real shame that I think characters like him are coming to towards the end of their careers now. Warnock, you know, Barry Fry, people like that, because they're brilliant, brilliant to be around. And yeah, Barry was uh, <laughs> he's a top guy. Have you ever seen a documentary where they follow it and he's doing the contract negotiations? And he's... Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Did, you, did, you, did yeah. you have it like that? Did you have to negotiate your contract, Barry Fry? Um, no, because I think, I think obviously that was uh, before my time. So everything's sort of done on the phone now before you get to meet them. So no, I'm gutted he wasn't smashing the gavel uh, when the deal was done, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it's obviously some great stories. It was good to talk to him. And it was sort of like a pinchery moment because, like you say, I'd been there on trial not long before that. And for the, for the 23s team, I think it would have been about, must have been 18 months before, two years before. I actually pulled out of that trial myself because I just thought, listen, I don't want to go and play 23s football. I'd rather go and play a first team a bit lower down. So... I think they were in the championship at the time when I did that. So it's not until you sort of look back because everything happened so quickly and so, so hectic in football. It's not until you look back and sort of reminisce that everything, you realise the madness of it all. I think that's where you really sort of burst onto most people's consciousness as well. Because, I mean, you don't argue with us. This is Wikipedia. I know a lot of footballers get very uh, precious about the stats, but you scored 27 goals and 82 appearances there. Is that right? Yeah. So I was alongside um, Asamba Longa. I was very much just like the foil for him, I guess. Like he was scoring all the goals, taking all the penalties and things like that. So I went in the January, got like maybe seven or eight assists, a couple of goals towards the end of that season. Uh, we lost that in the playoffs. And then the next year, it's just a bit of a strange time for the club, really. There was a lot of like managerial upheaval and and things like that. So but then it was the season after that one. Graham Wesley became the manager, made me his main man. And yeah, just hit another one of those goal scoring runs where everything went in uh, just right in time for January, pretty much. I believe 15, 16 season, you ended up as Peterborough's top scorer for the season, didn't you? And obviously that, that form then led to QPR to go and play. Am I right in saying it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank? Yeah. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was the manager. Another one of those ridiculous things. I remember sitting in a hotel just outside London talking to Les Ferdinand about, about the deal and stuff and what he expected from me and what, 
how they'd help me and stuff. And I was thinking, Jesus Christ. And then obviously later that day, meeting, meeting Jimmy Ford Hasselbank as well. To go from obviously Newport to that within, I think it was about two and a half years, to be honest, was 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 crazy. And it was as good as it was bad, to be honest, because I don't think like mentally I was probably prepared for that and stuff, being 23, 24, going from a dressing room, obviously at Peterborough in League One, to a team that's just been relegated from the Premier League with lads on scary amounts of money, international footballers. Um, who obviously all had their own agenda at the time as well because the club was in a bit of a tumultuous time, really. It was a lot of players didn't have any wage relief clauses and stuff. A lot of them wanted to get out. And Jimmy was not the easiest to play under. Uh, very demanding physically and, and mentally as well. So, yeah, it was a bit of a strange time, to be honest. Um, but it looks like they're back on their feet now, the new training ground and stuff. So um, that's good to see. Who were some of the players then that you walked into the QPR change room with? Like you said, there were some big names, weren't there? Yeah, so like Stephen Colker, Neda Manua, Leroy Fur, Matt Phillips, Junior Hoylett, uh, Sandro, Rob Green. So yeah, all like really established Premier League players, really. Um, and listen, I'm a big football nerd, as you've probably found out. For a, so for me, it was a, a real eye-opener. Say, was this the first time you sat in a change room with somebody and you thought, I've signed you before on Championship Manager? I was thinking that. I wonder if I have. Uh, I probably have. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was an interesting one because it was great. I didn't feel particularly, I don't remember feeling particularly overwhelmed by it. I was just really looking forward to, to getting on the pitch and playing, you know, because I think what really helped me was I'd come off such a sort of rich vein of form at, Peterborough um, and there was a few championship clubs in for me so it wasn't like miles out of the, the scope of reality if you like the QPR were going to sign me but um, I just just didn't get going in the in to the end of that season I was in and out of the team and the team wasn't doing particularly well and things like that so and I was also coming in on the back of Charlie Austin leaving so obviously a very different profile to me but somebody who's been ridiculously successful at scoring goals so in a certain way, in a certain team or whatever. So, um, yeah, that just sort of clouded my whole time, really. I went ages without a goal. And obviously, as most strikers are, especially at 23, 24, being two years removed from non-league, uh, just hit me like a train. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank didn't stay around either, did he? So you, a very, very different manager, came in, in Ian Holloway, who is obviously an absolute legend to anybody who watches football. Is he every bit as bonkers as he seems in his interviews? Yeah, he's exactly like he is um, on TV, which is great to see. The thing I liked about him was how much he cared. He, he genuinely cared about each and every single player. But like I say, the club wasn't in a great place. I think we almost got relegated that season, to be fair. And obviously, they've been sort of down there the last few seasons as well, which sort of shows shows where it's at and happens to a lot of these teams, doesn't it, that, that go up and then come back down pretty quickly. So the player turnover's big and things like that. But yeah, you know, Ian Holloway was great. Um, we had a bit of a mini revival under him to be fair. And then, like I say, other things got in the way and, and whatever. But um, yeah, it was a good good time period to play under him. QPR is a huge club. Fans and social media and the way things are, was that quite an adjustment as well? Oh, massively, yeah. It's a weird one because I ended up moving for, for a bit like really, uh, well, for me, obviously, coming from where I've come from, a ridiculous amount of money. That never phased me as such in terms of like, it's an inanimate, it's intangible to me, isn't it? The amount of money, it doesn't, doesn't affect me in any way but I think um, in terms of like you say the fans expectations and stuff they sent them through the roof really I think I had an okay relationship with most of them but 
Um, when you're not scoring and you're a striker that's been bought for nearly three million pounds, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a backlash. So it's one of those that you look back and you think like, if something would have just hit me on the arse and gone in, in the third game, how different my career might look. Yeah. You don't know, obviously. I think I hit the post like maybe in the first 10 games of the season, like maybe three or four times. I had like, and I remember there was a run that I was on. I had scored, scored against that uh, and then scored against Newcastle, scored against somebody else. And then, we were Blackburn away, nil-nil. I've had a header, it's come off the crossbar, and it's gone in. And then like as it as it's hit the crossbar, it's spun back out. And there's like photos of it, of it like way behind the line and whatever. And it got disallowed. Um it's just stupid little things like that. You think how yeah. how it could have changed and stuff. But all in all, I look back on my time there as obviously like a real learning curve for me. Uh, it really helped me sort of shape the person I am as well as as well as the player I am. Obviously, I wish it would have gone better. Of course, I think everybody does, but ultimately, it's sort of got me where I am now. So, up to the QPR, the end of your QPR stint, and how much do you remember about the kits that you wore? There's some okay ones at QPR, to be fair. In general, the training gear was pretty bad, funny enough. How, how important is that training gear, though? Because we've spoken to a few players before that say that if you have bad training gear, it can really make a difference to, to your, your performance and so on. So, do, you, do you find that is the case? Yeah, it's just like, you know, stupid little things. I guess it's, it's no different to a normal work uniform, is it? I guess. Like, if you walked in to your office and your clothes are like ridiculous size, the sleeves are down here, but the, <laughs> the t-shirts like around your midriff and you've got trousers that are like ridiculously baggy on. I think it just promotes that sort of like unprofessional almost attitude. And um, in football, I've definitely noticed that I'm a creature of comfort anyway. So things like that do really affect me um, in terms of training gear and stuff. And a lot of the stuff I've had is, is pretty bad. Like the, the Newport stuff was was rascal i think i can't even remember <laughs> what brand it was it might i think joma I, joma I maybe training i know there was i know there was macron at one point i did have a look i saw yeah. you I, I'd look oh, it was macron actually yeah, yeah it that, was macron that era of macron back in what was that 2012 2013 is yeah. iffy at best as well i'll tell you what we had some really bad stuff at qpr i don't even know if i'm allowed to say this but it's, dry world yeah dry i was world. gonna ask about so, i was gonna ask you about thing. this yeah so, yeah, we had a, it was funny because we had an absolute stinker with it as well, right? So I think they were just trying to get into the game maybe or something like that. Or they'd done maybe another team the year before, but we got to the first day of pre-season. They hadn't sent any of the gear out. It was They sent us a load of stickers, right? And we stuck the dry, well, not me personally, but they stuck the Dry World logo over the Nike stuff. <laughs> it's the same gear. No I don't know if it's even legal. I don't even know if that's legal, but... Um, yeah, you could see underneath that it was clearly the last year's um, training gear, which wasn't nice gear in the first place, to be fair, but even worse with dry world stickers all over it. I think the kits were okay, as far as I remember. They, they look um, smart. I mean, they literally did one season, it looks like, and they did kits for yourselves, yeah. Watford, and then they did yeah, randomly, was, yeah. did like Fluminese and Athletic <laughs> Mineiro in, in Brazil, and that was it. Yeah. I don't understand how these... The best kits I've ever worn, I think, uh, Northern Ireland, the international kits, the Adidas ones are class. I think, obviously, with it being an international team, you get the, the better um, stuff. We had some nice ones at Peterborough. We were, I think we had a few different ones. A lot of Nike stuff, yeah. I think the, probably the, year, the first year I was there might have been one of my favourite ones, actually. The one the year that I left wasn't great. It had a collar on it, and I wasn't a massive fan. I don't know what brand that was, though. 
I did, I did have a quick look, and as I say, predominantly just anything from that era from Peterborough just came back as night. But it's funny, obviously, you mentioned Northern Ireland. Obviously, you, you, your debut was what 2016, so that was kind of around that QPR, Peter, Peterborough's QPR time as well. Then, so that so was it that that good form that got you the call up then? Yeah, basically, the move and obviously the good form um, coming at the same time, really. I think I signed in January and made my debut. The March internationals, maybe it's obviously much easier to call up somebody if they're playing in the championship than it is League One. So, and that to be to be honest, the international stuff probably saved mentally saved me for a few years because obviously you're getting them quite regularly. And I was doing well. I was going away and playing and scoring, not tons, but actually scoring, putting the ball in the back in there, which was nice. So that sort of re- that sort of saved me from just being at QPR, you know, just not scoring there, not scoring there, not scoring there, not playing well in and out of the team. It was nice to get that sort of release to go with Northern Ireland, and obviously a really successful period of, of Northern, Ireland, Northern Irish football as well. So, um, and when you scored from it, it was good as well because I did have a look, and there was only one occasion where you scored that Northern Ireland didn't win as well. So it, it was all, it was always yeah. good for, good for him when you did. <laughs> oh, what game was that been? Bulgaria. Yeah, that, okay, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So you you scored against Slovenia, Belarus, Norway, Estonia, and Lithuania, and all of those were winning games. So, so yeah, they they did well out of you, really, didn't they? Yeah, it would have been nice to obviously add some more to that. Um, but yeah, I've really it's probably the most enjoyable moments of my career playing for Northern Ireland. To be honest, obviously, I was very lucky to have played in the Euros. So that in itself is probably my biggest career highlight. But even outside of that, um, they've been great games. The fans are brilliant. And yeah, like like I say, I've been, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a in a, a really successful sort of period. At what point does international football come on your radar? Because like the, the the rise at that point from being a postman and playing for fifty quid a week through to playing international football again, it's only three or four year period. It's quite it moves quite fast. And and at what point did you? It sounds silly, but at what point did you realise you could play for Northern Ireland? At what point did you realise that was an option? So my mum, my mum's Scottish. She was born in Dunfermline, so obviously we always knew I could play for for Scotland if if the chance arose. Um, and then my dad's mum is from Northern Ireland, so we always knew that was a possibility. But it was never spoken about, obviously, because I was playing for Newport. It was the chances. Um, but then at Northern Ireland are very diligent with um, who's eligible and who's not. They'll basically look around the clubs and say who's who can we get basically because obviously the player pool is so small. So who's eligible to play for Northern Ireland? So I think. I think Andy Cousins, who was head of the sort of scouting department, came into Peterborough to speak to maybe three or four of us um, that were eligible because we were doing half decent at the time. So, and then yeah, we just kept in touch from there. And then it was basically like, listen, keep doing what you're doing, and you might get a chance. So, obviously, Carl Lafferty at the time was the, the king. So he was scoring all the goals. So I don't think they were massively in the market for strikers. But at the same time, obviously, I was doing well. So it was. And that's where I got the opportunity. And I read, is this true, right? Tell me if it's not. You've been to Northern Ireland once, but that was playing a pre-season friendly with Peterborough. And the second time you went to Northern Ireland, it was to play for them. Yeah. I was very close to having played for them without actually being in Northern Ireland, but I had been there one pre-season trip. Yeah. Um, because my my grand had moved to York by the time I was born. So, uh-huh. and then in turn, I've got extended family in Northern Ireland, I think, by don't keep in contact with any of them. So, yeah, I'd only been once. Uh, and then I actually made my debut in Wales, funnily enough. So yeah, it could have been a hell of a story if I hadn't actually been there. But yeah, I'd been there on pre-season. I'm pretty sure nowadays with some of the international players, there there are players who definitely haven't visited the countries they're playing for. So from QPR then, on to Sheffield United, playing for Chris Wilder there. So obviously that was a, a relatively good move, another big club. 
Yeah, yeah. I think Chris Wilder had always sort of liked me, like the, like my profile as a as a footballer. So I think they were looking for one more striker. Basically, they had Sharp, McGoldrick, and Leon Clark, and they well, they wanted another one to sort of compete with those. Basically, so obviously I wasn't. I think Steve McLaren had come in as manager at QPR, and he was obviously known for playing four three three with a big man like Chris Martin through the middle or whatever. So it was great for me. It was one of the first times I think a manager have been truly honest with me and said, "Listen." I like playing this type of number nine. You are quite clearly not that type of number nine. So like, let's just try and work out what's best for the both of us. And I was like, thank God for that, basically. I don't want to be stuck out on the left, which is where I played quite a bit for QPR in the end. So yeah, they let me go. Um, and like you say, sort of fell on my feet at Sheffield United, really, in a ridiculously successful season. Didn't, didn't play a particularly great amount. Um, but I was behind club captain, and I think he might have even won the golden boot that year, Billy Sharp. So it was a great season to be involved with the club, obviously, training every day and seeing what what it took to get promoted to the Premier League. So, yeah, it was another one of those years that obviously could have gone a hell of a lot better. But at the same time, I really appreciate my sort of 10 months there, whatever it was. That's a promotion to the Premier League on the CV, though, isn't it? At the end of the day, yeah, well, yeah. When you look at it like that, yeah, we had a great, we had a good time in Vegas, so it was all worth it. <laughs> Come on, give, go, give us one Vegas story. Oh, there was a few, to be fair. <laughs> Jesus, I'm trying to think of what's not going to get me me in trouble with any of the lads here. Paul Coots getting kicked out of one of the hotels for doing the world's longest crazy frog impression at about seven in the morning was pretty impressive, to be honest. It was one of those where you thought he's going to stop, he has to stop. But the more security got involved, the more he sort of doubled down on the impression. So, yeah, he was getting launched out of a casino at about seven in the morning pretending to be on a motorbike. So it's just one of the off the top of my head. It was deserved. Um, I mean, the party, not getting thrown out. I mean, I've, I think I've seen what's <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah. From promotion to the Premier League, you obviously then you moved again, but that was uh, to Hearts where you played. That, that was Scottish Premiership, wasn't it? Yeah. And one of my favourite kits, actually. Very good training kit. Very good kit. Uh, obviously, a very well known one anyway, with it being the colour it is. Just one of those. I had probably like maybe three seasons in a row where I just never really sort of got going. Edinburgh, brilliant city, great club to play for. Genuinely one of my favourites. I think I only ended up playing about fifteen games. Maybe had my first ever big injury that was sort of kept me out for more than about a couple of weeks, really. So, and it was obviously a terrible season for the club in terms of what happened and COVID and whatever. So, um, it was good and bad. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And um, it's one of those things where I obviously got getting relegated to the Scottish Championship through a sort of, I don't want to say a technicality because I always saw it as like, well, we were bottom of the league, somebody had to get relegated. So it is what it is. But we sort of had just turned a corner really in terms of picking up results and stuff. So And battling for European places, which is where they, where they should be. And you, t- you touched on the kit, that was Umbro kit, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I think my first, yeah, like my first experience with Umbro as well. A really nice kit, a really nice black one actually, black and gold. It might have been, yeah, that would have been that year. Obviously, I was only there a year. Uh, I think it was like the third kit, the black third kit was right up there as one of the best kits I've seen. To be fair, really nice one. And yeah, the maroon one was obviously iconic. Yeah, I was going to say it's an iconic colour. From Hearts back to England again. We'll talk about the kits in a minute because these are the ones I think are probably my favourites of the kits that you've worn through your career. Because I had a look at these ones and. They're, they were very popular. And that was with 
Charlton and, and 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 weirdly another sort of like relatively big named manager was there at the same time as you saw with Lee Bowyer. Yeah, so I think they they just got relegated also through a sort of yeah, I think it was the end of COVID, wasn't it? So they had a few players that obviously didn't want to play and things like that. So and there was a massive problem with the ownership at the time as well. They weren't far off going under, I don't think, um, before I signed. So but I think yeah, my sign in took ages because Basically, every, got everything done, went down there, scarf pictures, all sorts, wearing a terrible polo shirt they'd given me. And I got home and my agent rang me and said, oh, the EFL have said no. I was <laughs> like, oh, my God, because of the embargoes and stuff. So, yeah, that was a fun few weeks. Luckily, I was signing with a lad that I played with at Newport and I know really well, Alex Gilby. So he was going through the same thing. Otherwise, it might have ended up totally differently, to be honest. So you're just sitting it out on the promise that, you will be playing. I mean, how does that work? Are you still training with them, still doing pre-season? No, so I, yeah, I'd gone down to sign and then came back up to Edinburgh and just waited it out for a, must have been three or four days at least. Felt like longer, yeah. Yeah, felt like longer, yeah. Thomas Sankar took over and it all got ratified by the FL at that point, but yeah, it was a <laughs> crazy time. The Hummel kits, weren't they? I was just going to come to God that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So the one in particular that that uh, was a really really popular kit, because obviously being massive kit geeks that we are, we we kind of pay attention to a lot of kits from all divisions. And one of the ones that was really really popular, I think you would have played in your first season. I think it was the away kit, like a grey or silver, um, that was a bit of a throwback to an old kit. That was a stunning football kit. Did did you like that one yourself? I think I played in that on my debut and scored in that. So yeah, it's a good kit. That they were all nice that year, actually. The red one, obviously, like, like similar to the Hearts one, pretty iconic with Charlton. You never know what you're going to get with an away kit as well, I find. Some of them are just absolutely like, are we our away, our away kit last year for Rotherham? Awful, awful kit. <laughs> that was awful. a throwback as well. The, is that the uh, Dortmund wannabe electric white and black one? The, is that the... the t- no, it's the Tigers. Well, oh, the Tiger Stripes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. it might have been the third one. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, you know what you're getting with the home shirt. They can never deviate too far from the norm but second and third kits Jesus you just don't know what you, like we had a bright pink one at Peterborough at one point just for some unknown reason don't know why but yeah the chart ones are nice actually and also shout out to uh, the kit man there top kit man one of the best Wayne Baldacino top guy he's one of the only kit man I've ever had who doesn't didn't believe that he owned the kit and <laughs> that you were you were allowed a spare pair of socks uh, <laughs> so yeah he's, he's, a, he's a top guy We've uh, we've heard we've heard a few stories about this before. We've had um, Hoops the kit man on from Swindon, haven't we? And he he's he spoke about how protective. And we we we've had a couple of other guys on who have who've known kit men. Uh, for example, one, one guy gave us a story about a kit man at Aston Villa and and how he literally locked it all up in a cupboard and didn't let anybody have anything. So I think it must just yeah. be generally a kit man thing. But you obviously you touched on it. You are currently a Rotherham player. Not particularly fond of the kit they wore last season then, but what, what, what about this season? Because their new kits dropped recently, didn't they? Yeah, I really liked the home one from last year. Um, the second kit with the, it was, was it the white one? Yeah, yeah, so the white the white with the dots all over it, that's the third kit. Yeah, so you're right, strange. The stripe, yeah. yeah. What was the stripe one, the second kit? Yeah. Bad kit, that, isn't it? There's, somebody's done one this year. Somebody's done one this year that's similar. Oh, but it's a lot less yellow. Oh. I mean, what is it, Watford? 
Yeah, there's for, for Watford kit, it's very black it's design, stripes. It's yeah. Near, yeah, it might be that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, this year, I don't like the home shirt at all, to be honest. Not a fan. I'm not a big fan of the col- those little collars. I want to see a big Cantona collar, or I don't want to see a collar at all, I think. Is it is is got a stadium going through it? What's the pattern that's supposed to be on So it? last year was the stadium through it. This year, I, I'm pretty sure it's a floodlight or something like that. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Last year's was really nice. I think it was the 10th anniversary of the celebration of the stadium and stuff. So they had like, it was really nice detail on it, actually. The shorts and socks were decent as well. Always makes a difference. If we if we put you on the spot and we had to pick what the favourite kit you've ever worn is, then what, what would you go for? I'd probably go the, the kit we had at Northern Ireland for the Euros, to be fair. I think that was a really good year of Adidas kits, to be fair, in general. Obviously, it's got a lot of sentimental meaning for me as well. I thought I had loads of them left, but I actually don't. A mouse did a pretty good job on a few of them, actually. No, um, you don't say that. No. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do with them because with, with the international stuff, as you probably had with Kitmen before, you only get like maybe two or three shirts a year from the club, but we get two shirts every time we go away for every game. So I'm get I'm coming back with four shirts a trip sometimes. And then in like September, October, November, three internationals, 12 shirts. It's like, I'm not a massive fan of football stuff everywhere. So I don't even know where a lot of them are. They're in a holdall rather than a bin bag, if that makes it any better. <laughs> but um, yeah, that it's, was a serious still, job. I think it, it, having them in a hole is still is still kind of sacrilege to us as collectors because I think most of yeah. us that, that just collect standard replica shirts like me have got them all hanging in, in wardrobes and nicely folded in our drawers and so on. But it's, <laughs> it's so funny because usually when we talk to, to players, they're, they're the same. They're just like, oh, yeah, I've got some. A, a couple of weeks back, we were lucky enough to speak to Alexi Lalas and he was just like, oh, yeah, I've got these kits somewhere, but I'd have to find them out. And we're like, what? Yeah. He, he said he's got like a, a match-worn David Beckham just kind of stuffed away somewhere and you think this is just crazy <laughs> yeah I know I've got two framed I think my debut for Northern Ireland and my debut for QPR my agent got those sorted for me so uh, um, in terms of collecting kits I never really did it I've got a funny kit story actually um, so we played Slovakia in a I think it was a friendly maybe as a warm-up before the Euros I wanted to swap shirts with Hamshik and at the time they were wearing Puma and obviously Puma is like skin tight and he is a very slim man and I am not <laughs> a very slim man. So I've taken my shirt off. I've gone over to him. It's what I think he's only my maybe third or fourth game. So I'm thinking, right, obviously international. I want to get good players. Yeah. Hamshik signed him hundreds of times on Football Manager. Iconic hair, everything. Uh, and he was obviously a hell of a player at the time as well. So I've gone over. Yeah, great. Gave him my shirt. I'm thinking he's launching that when he gets in the dressing room. <laughs> Taking his. And I thought, I thought, like, what do I do with this? Like, I, do I really want to walk to the dressing room with my top off? So I've tried to put it on and I barely got it over one shoulder. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was like an extra small puma or something. Oh. Like, he's so slight. I didn't realise how slight he was. So I'm sort of like half putting it on, like getting it about here. And I just... Just took it off in the end and just clapped and walked off. Go for off. the shoulder. Go for over the shoulder yeah. jump, yeah. I think I got Yarmolenko's when he was in Ukraine. I think that was in one of the Euros games. And it then sat in my bag for the rest of the trip, basically. And, oh, my God, the smell when I took it out of my bag when I got home was a disgrace. 
we played Germany as well, but a lot of the lads like are really into it. So, but I just never really like. I always thought to myself like, yeah, they're great, and I wish I would have now because now my son's five. It's more memories for him now that I wish I'd got more, but they were just so hard to get. Like lads were just like running over to people and. Um, yeah, there's definitely a few I wish I'd have got. He's a massive Haaland fan for some unknown reason. So, um, but I think he's a bit funny with his shirts anyway, giving them out. So, but I have got a photo of me being in the vicinity of him, which has gone down really well with my son. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's why you've got to stick out those shirts and, and sort them properly. Cause, you know, you might not care about them, but your son's going to love them. He's going to want them um, to remember his dad playing yeah. national football. Hundred percent. Yeah. If you watched a YouTube video of me playing against Haaland and it was basically, I think they'd be a 6-1 or something like that. He scored a hat-trick and it was basically me stood at the top of the screen here, just like hovering around the halfway line, not really doing anything and Haaland just scoring relentlessly in this goal, which he thought was brilliant at the time, but brought back some PTSD for me, really. Is there a protocol when it comes to, especially when you play, I don't know, you, you mentioned a Germany game, but you know, as, a, as a team, I know you're concentrating on the match, but is there a little bit of, I'm going to go and get Lam's shirt, I'm going to go and get Muller's shirt. No, I want Muller's shirt. Keep your hands off it. Yeah, is, is there any of that that goes on? Yeah, so one of the lads actually knew Boateng, the centre-half. I think he knew him or he knew somebody that knew him. So he'd already organised a few of the shirts anyway. But the other thing was I came off about 60 minutes in that game, 70 minutes. So it's one of those that I wasn't on the pitch at the final whistle. So um, it's a funny story, actually. So that was when Will Grigg was on fire. Like That was everything, wasn't it? Euro 2016, Will Grigg's on fire. So Hummels actually knocked on the, the changing room door and asked for it. They said, Griggy, Griggy, like, can, can we have a photo? Like, can we swap shirts? Whatever. It was nuts. Never so amazing what someone can he do. Was getting, he was getting bombarded with stuff like sponsorships and people were just sending him free stuff all the time. And like I say, getting international football was knocking on the door. I'm not sure he actually came on in the game, but they're knocking on the door saying, Griggy, Griggy, come on, let's get a photo. It's class. That's madness. <laughs> I had a quick look again. If the stats are correct, four hundred and eighty-five games and one hundred and sixty-one goals. That's not. It's not all an awful return. That, but there is one more thing that we need to talk about a little bit because you've mentioned it a few times, and I believe I'd be. It would be fair to say you are a football manager obsessive. Yeah, I have. I'm. I'm right in the midst of a couple of deadlines right now um, for a degree, but. If I wasn't, I would be smashing out. Uh, well, it's already planned, to be fair. I've done all the setup for it, my last probably save of the year um, with Arsenal, to be fair. Although it feels almost a bit like cheating at the moment with Arsenal. Uh, it's not as fun as it used to be when you actually had to rebuild the team. I had a pretty epic Wrexham save this year. Uh, it was probably one of the longest ones I've done, you know. I'm very much like a, a Mourinho three-season wonder, to be honest. But yeah, I really enjoyed the Wrexham one this year. I've never really done a lower league save which is funny considering my career, obviously. But yeah, I, de- I dedicated a lot of time to it. A disgusting amount of time, actually, over the past <laughs> probably two or three years. How is it playing the game when it's your teammates are on there or people that you played against? Do you ever not sign somebody because you're like, no, he was a bastard when I played against him? Or do you, does any of that come into your consciousness? Or <laughs> yeah. do you just on the numbers? Um, would I have signed anyone this year? Who did I sign for Wrexham? Because I played it, I must have been about eight seasons deep on that. I definitely signed a few lads from Rotherham saying that. I signed Cohen Bramall, the left wing back, and I signed Cam Humphreys, the centre back. 
had a lot of lads turn me down actually which was a bone of contention at training I do like signing lads that I played with I've never signed myself that's that genuine thing I just usually avoid myself um, otherwise it's a bit too close to home I think um, although the last two games I've actually been I've actually been pretty good supposedly from people that have played with me so you know quick in behind strikers seem to be pretty good the last few years so um, but Paul Mullen got me all the way up to the champ and then I sold him for somebody else but I think I did I get in the Champs League I think I got in the Champs League with Wrexham so that's probably my greatest achievement as a human being as well as <laughs> manager I, I, to be fair I think I think we've all been there haven't we um I, I I don't play so much anymore but I used to play an awful lot but um because I'm pushing 40 now my prime era was sort of like 2010 2011 that was when I used to play an awful lot but I got to admit I was one of the people that kind of I started I just tapped out when it was just all regens because I, I I used to like signing named players I used yeah. to like so as soon as all the regions came in I, I was usually out and it was less start a new save but um but yeah I think it's a kind of a rite of passage for all fo- football fans really and I think we all get hooked at some point yeah I've been a massive football nerd since I was sort of five or six but like, I used to love kits personal favorite was an old cap aroma shirt which I actually wore to a year six disco with a pair of three quarters. You've uh, just, you've just made of... Adrian's day there. Come on, have you got that picture somewhere? I, would, I must, my mum must have one somewhere, but it was the skin tight. Yeah. Um, long sleeve, long sleeve as well, for some unknown reason. Um, and Ar- I'm an Arsenal fan. So Arsenal kits at the time, unbelievable when I was growing up, like the, the O2 era. One, one of my first kits was the, like the Sega, you know, the Dreamcast era of Arsenal. I was a massive, massive Burkamp fan, like loved him. But he was injured at the time I got the kit. And I think we just signed Davos Shuka. So for some unknown reason, rather than Burkamp 10, I got Shuka 9. Just an awful decision. How my mum let me get away with that is beyond belief, to be honest. But Keep after that, the ones are... That's why. Pay for the number and pay for the letter. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good shout, yeah. But at the time, like the blue sort of spidery... O2 Arsenal one. I think Badge was in the middle. I got that for a birthday full kit. Um, and then the last one at Highbury, the maroon one, was I wore that to death. So it's been a bit of a bit of a kit nerd. So obviously being a kit nerd, then is there is there any team that you wish you could have played for just to be able to play in that kit or their colours or or anything that you sort of sticks in your head as something you would like to have played in? So I was lucky enough to grow up with that area of um, Serie A being massive, you know, um, Football Italia. I was sort of like just getting into football. And um, so I've always really enjoyed it. I love doing Italian saves on Football Manager as well, funny enough. And I loved Batistuta. I thought he was brilliant. Uh, he broke my heart a few times, actually, scoring against Arsenal. But yeah, I do love, I do love those old school Fiorentina kits. Um, and then... Either Inter or AC Milan, I think. They're just so iconic. I don't know who I would choose, actually. Probably Inter. I prefer the kit, the Inter kit, I think. But they just obviously just really nostalgic for me um, because it was the, probably the best league in the world at the time. So, yeah, either one of those two, Inter, Inter would have been nice. Yeah, that batch do shirt as well. It, was, it, would be, it would have been the feeler one where he scored the goal at Wembley, wasn't it, against Arsenal? Yeah. I don't know how he scored from where he did. I still yeah. don't know how he scored from where he did. But, um, yeah, the, the colour, obviously, brilliant as well. Um, and he was just so recognisable, probably similar to why Matt, my son Max loves Haaland so much. 
just so recognizable obviously it was so different to uh to everyone else so um although they are terrible on football manager Fiorentina <laughs> so <laughs> I can um, yeah, probably the most sensible guest we've had on actually so far. You know, you used to wear Roma shirts as a kid and um, big fan of Serie A, so you're ticking on my boxes. I think you're very sensible. I was going to say, just to add context to that, AD is is an, an Italian football obsessive who collects predominantly Roma football shirts. So you you have literally made a day there. <laughs> we're, we're, I'm I'm constantly telling him that 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 because I I love German football shirts. So I'm always telling him German football shirts are better. And usually anyone who comes on disagrees with me and backs him up anyway. But you've done it actually ticked every box for him as well. <laughs> I don't even know why. I don't know why I would have liked that shirt so much I, I like Totty you know to think I must have just liked the kit or something because obviously they were a lot harder to get hold of back then as well I don't even know where where I would have got it from it was new unique wasn't it it was the first um, it was the advert at the time was you couldn't get your shirt pulled because that was a big thing wasn't it and so they went they yeah. went all tight yeah. so there was, a, there was a lot of noise around it a lot of noise around it yeah we always um, we always ask guests if they could pick the perfect kit and player combination what they go for so that's any player in history wearing any kit in history what would be sort of the perfect matchup oh, there's probably two that stick out in my, in my mind Ian Wright with a JVC Arsenal um, and then I think Henri with a long sleeve shirt glove combination was just relentless at the time I remember I think it was the four goals he scored against Leeds was just ridiculous Um and some of the things he was doing were crazy. Outside of Arsenal, hmm, got to be something in Serie A for me. That astute and Fiorentina for me, obviously a big one. So outside of uh, the Prem, probably that. Brilliant. We've kept you here for almost an hour, which is you know really kind of you to give us your time. So I think all that's really left is for us to say thank you and to say good luck for the season coming up. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Connor. Cheers, guys. Yeah, that was really good. And I'm not surprised that we've managed to secure a guest that has their favourite shirt of all time as a Roma shirt. That was definitely not by accident, was it, Eddie? Seemed to have an interesting journey into football as well. Like, largely these days, you get picked up very, very early it's rare for someone to kind of go to university, be a postman and then work your way into it, play Sunday league and then get into it later on. Generally these days, if you're good enough, you will get picked up very early. So I thought he had a really interesting route into football. It's it's like he said, he, he said the words himself. It was almost accidental. It's It's mad to think really that, you know, if not for a couple of, fortunate moments he may have still been just playing for St Ives and would have carried on delivering our football shirts for us <laughs> and he loves his kits as well and, and really sound guy really sound guy but uh, I believe we've got a Scotty rant coming up yes we do This week it's related mainly to templates, but ties in with the argument about templates. So for me, now remember, everybody can have their own opinion. That's the beauty of it. But stop trying to fucking ram your opinion down other people's throats. But it's just a template 
isn't a fucking argument because most shirts are fucking templates. Even shirts that are not templates are actually templates, but with a little bit. Look at the Man United shirt this year. It's still a fucking template. They just got a nice little geometric pattern on the front that was bespoke to them. But it's still a fucking template. And at the same time, I've noticed a couple of accounts. I'm not going to mention any names, but they were all slagging off the, the Roma release. So they were like, it's just a template. And then to just once they realized they'd fucked up and slagged off templates and most of the best shirts ever released are fucking templates, according to our own poll, not that we are the gospel, but other people will think that as well. But then they had to start lying and they were like, oh, this is shit as well because it's a template. Then, the, the, I mean, up until two weeks ago, everybody fucking loved the Denmark 86 shirt. Now it's just a template. It's fucking, it's old and it's fucking stupid. If you're going to be a cunt, think about how you're going to present your argument so that not only you are a cunt, but you don't look like a cunt as well because it's really off-putting and I'm fucking sick of reading it. It's like cunts that come out and be like, oh, I don't like friends. You know, they, they made fucking millions and aired all over. You're just saying it to try and be cool. Fucking stop it. And then when a club releases a shirt, that doesn't have a fucking bespoke pattern. They're all like, oh, it's just a template. It's their fucking colour, you dickhead. Liverpool have released red shirts for fucking decades. It's not just a template because it's a red plain shirt. That's that's the fucking colour of the club. It's fucking ridiculous. Stop being a dick and let people enjoy it. And also, just because you think a shirt, a shirt is shit, if it fucking sells out in less than 24 hours, clearly you're in the fucking minority. Because everybody else thinks it's fucking great. I'm not saying any shirt in particular. This happens all the time. And the other thing is, how come one template be just a template, but another shirt? Does everybody remember the Ajax fucking third shirt that everybody was creaming their fucking pants in and you couldn't get anywhere and the cunts were selling it for 150 quid on Twitter? That was just a fucking template. So how is it different than another template? And why does everybody hate Roma? What the fuck did Roma do to anybody? Apart from have the biggest shithousing manager ever to live, but that makes me fucking love them even more. It's ridiculous. Let people enjoy what they want to enjoy. Stop being cunts. Templates are fucking great. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to come in first. I'm going to say I, I, I do hate friends. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm only joking, by the way, just to be a dickhead. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I always say the same thing. that It's really, really difficult to follow Scott on his rants. He pretty much covered everything. All I can really do is reiterate my thoughts on it. And just, you know, I, I put this on my socials this week. I don't believe that just saying but it's a template, is an argument. If you don't like something, fine, you don't like it. But firstly, as Scott said many, many times, and a bit more fruitfully than I will, let people enjoy their shirts for a start. And secondly, yeah, it it's just, it's not an argument. It's not an argument. I do agree. I mean, firstly, I'm a Seinfeld man over friends, but, you know, everyone likes their own thing. My main issue is that people seem to get templates confused in two senses. So you've got the template, which is the structure of the shirt, but also a template in the design. Sometimes they cross over as well. So the Netherlands 88 shirt is a template in both senses. It's still a fantastic shirt. But people specifically with the Roma shirt were getting very angry, saying it's just a plain shirt. 
Firstly, what do you expect from a Roma shirt? It has to be those colours. You can put maybe some kind of design on it, but largely it will be the red and yellow that they wear are their colours. With their current shirt, it's not just a template because there are bespoke elements to that shirt anyway. In the collar and the cuffs, there's slight detailing, a different colour in there. And also there's a little emblem on the back and the ones that have been leaked, the away shirt and the third shirt, also have smaller bespoke elements to them as well. So they're not just a template. It has to be a plain shirt, though, for the home shirt in that sense. Like, what more do you want? Do you want to have like blue zigzags on it or something like that? It's not going to happen with a Roma shirt. So it's just going to be plain. So I don't get why people are so angry about it. What are you after? It's also a throwback or a linked throwback. It's looking at the past, the present and the future, but a throwback to the 92 Adidas Roma home shirt, which was plain. There was no pattern in it. There was no jacquard in it. There was no, nothing. yeah, it was plain colours. So not really sure what they could have done or what people expected, but and that's an isolated example. Scott. And just to preempt before the third comes out, fucking, it's not just a polo shirt because polo shirts have fucking collars. Also to add to that, I'm not a particular fan of Roma shirts, but seeing as for some reason we're all defending them this week, I wonder why that is. I would actually say, again, as much as I'm not much of a, a Roma shirt fan, if the if the you know the the ones that we've seen are, the leaks are actually true, I actually think as a set of three, so far is by far the best trio of kits we've seen this season. They look incredible. They all complement each other each other really well. They look incredible. Yes, stop being a fanny. They're good shirts. <laughs> What a week. I mean, we crammed absolutely loads into the show this week. I hope you've enjoyed listening. But Mike, going back to uh, to the opening of the show, it is a special week for us. It is our birthday and we've got a nice little surprise planned, haven't we? We absolutely have. So uh, we've, we've got a lot of good stuff coming up, including more good features, obviously, on the pod in the next few weeks. But for this week, we have got a giveaway lined up. It's going to be obviously kind of like a thank you. It's going to be a little bundle. It's been given to us by the kind people at TSPN. And it was very nice. And they've given us a really nice little package to, to give away to one lucky winner. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled on the socials for that. Uh, and also, I think this week we are actually going to start our next poll as well, because seeing as we're one year old, we may as well get cracking on that because that's something that we all enjoy. So giveaway and shit shirts poll. So what, the team at TSPN have actually really looked after us this week. Scott, do you want to tell people what's in that little bundle? Yeah, so they've given us a few goodies. And the best bit about it is it's all brand new with tags, which was obviously right up my street. So we've got a very comical um, football cap. And a pair of shorts from a very large Spanish team and a German giant for a shirt. And not only that, but they've also included a gift voucher for uh, credit to spend at the shop as well. So, yeah, it's a huge, huge uh, thank you to them because that's a really good, a really good giveaway. And I think you'll uh, be excited to, to see the exact details and get entering. Keep your eyes out on our socials. And Mike, we've got a couple other features in the pipeline as well. Anything you can share with us at this stage? Yeah, I think so. So we've been trying to put this one together for a little while, but I think next week we're actually finally going to sit down with the guys Fearless in Devotion, which is probably the biggest Wrexham podcast. We're going to sit down with them, talk about Wrexham, talk about their recent rise and the fame that comes with the owners that they've got um and we're obviously gonna talk kits as well so that i'm really really looking forward to that one because i think 
everybody's kind of got a little bit of the Rex and buzz at the moment, haven't they? So yeah, should be good. Pure Hollywood, I'm sure. Adam, have you had fun this week? I've had the best time ever. Thanks, guys. My favourite bit was Scott saying the word cunt repeatedly over and <laughs> over and over. To be fair, if people weren't cunts, I wouldn't have to call them cunts. So I don't blame myself. You just tell it like it is, don't you? Well, I, I can't, I've only ever been one way, I'm afraid, yeah. It's a very interesting argument to use. Um, thanks, Scott. Who's going to do the honours this week then? Scott. Scott. I think you actually should as, as penance for, I mean, this is probably a record. We are going to have to put out some a very clear warning. I'll tell you what, right? He, let's say he doesn't have to do it this week, but we'll make a deal. Next time we record, we're not going to talk about it until then. But if you swear once during that record and you lose yourself and you forget, you then have to do it at the end of the episode. That is like asking me to change my personality so that I don't have to say that stupid fucking English phrase. Hey, that is on. unbelievable. He, I think he's agreed. So we may as is, well the, just... is, is the only incentive that if I complete the task that I don't have to say the phrase and that we won't ask you at least for another month. A month. We, it's got to be long until the until I'll do it. If you don't mention it again until the Euros. I reckon we should say, yeah, because there's no way he's going to get through a whole episode of yeah. swearing anyway. I mean, so, yeah, yeah, fine. yeah, whatever the terms are. <laughs> whatever the terms are of your surrender, Scott. Right. <laughs> they think it's all over. It is now. When are we recording next week? I'm going to have to put a reminder on my phone that says do not swear this week because I will forget. I'm just going to come on before you say, before it says recording in progress, I'm going to say be like, I'll have to battle them out and get it out of my system.